Speaking of that, have you enjoyed revival? Oh, it's been, it's been real. It's been fresh around here. Today, we have somebody that has been a part of this house for a long time. She's actually one of our overseers. Uh, she is a gifted communicator. And when you hear her, you'll think, is she a professional preacher? Absolutely not. She only goes out and preaches a two or three times a year, just a few times, a select times. She's actually a nurse full-time on the highest level. And I'm telling you, she is a woman of God with a great husband, Marcus, and three amazing children. Would you give it up right now, North Church, to Mercy as she comes to preach the Word of God? Give it up. Come on, welcome her. to know that we serve a God who is with us, not just around us, in us, with us. His presence is here. My words, my Bible says when he comes back, he's not coming back as a baby in a manger. He's coming as a conquering king. There's a name on his thigh. He has a sword in his hand. He's ready to conquer the enemy. And I say glory to God. Come on, let's give it up for him. The church is marching on and the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. So good to be in God's house. While you're standing, I love you to honor your pastors, Pastor Rodney and Shannon. I love you. Genuinely, I like them. You know how you love some people, but you don't really like them? I like them. Like they're incredible pastors. This church is an incredible house. I feel at home when I'm here. It's family. And so I love that we're, we're in revival. That speaks to speaking to something that was once dull, dead, and God is speaking new life. Fresh word, rhema. That's what I believe as we get into the word today. So let's pray and then we'll take our seats. Father, we thank you for this gathering. We are the gathered ones, the called out ones, Ecclesia, your church, the bride of Christ. And so God, we pray that as we gather, your word says where two or three are gathered, you're right here in our midst. And so God, we ask that as we open up your word, we take away every distraction. We turn our hearts and affection toward heaven the darling of heaven, slain before the foundations of the earth for us. And so we pray that as we get into your word, God, not my words, but yours, not my wisdom, but yours, not my revelation, for, but yours. God, I always pray, not a transfer of information from my mouth to their ears, but God, an impartation from heaven, a rhema word, something that transforms us. We ask that you take from what is yours and impart it into our hearts in Jesus' name. I pray it falls on good soil. And now unto him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, and above all we can ask, think, or even dare to imagine. To him be all the glory. To him be all the honor. And to him be all the adoration. And all God's people said, amen, amen and amen. You can take your seats. Let's jump right into the word. If you've got your Bible with you, we're going to be in Luke 14 today. I love revival. I mean, I love church. Honestly, I'm a church kid. I grew up in church. Love being in the house of God. I love that the word of God is always fresh, always new, always has something new to show us. And what I'm sharing today is about this idea of a standing invitation. And Luke 14 tells us that Jesus was at a dinner party or dinner with some people. And this is what he says in verse 16. Then he, Jesus, said to him, one of the people at dinner... A certain man gave a great supper and invited many and sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, come, for all things are now ready. But they, in verse 18, all with one accord began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a piece of ground. I must go and see it. 
I ask you to have me excused. Another one said, I've bought five yoke of oxen. I'm going to test them. I ask you to have me excused. And still another said, I've married a wife. Therefore, I cannot come. I'm so glad I'm not God. I just be striking people down like, but you're out. Start over. So that's... So that servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. And the servant said, master, it is done as you commanded and still there's room. Then the master said to the servant, go on to the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of those men who are invited shall taste my supper. This is stunning. This is fascinating to me that Jesus is speaking parabolically. He's talking about a parable and showing some some insight to the people at dinner about something that's really important for us as the modern day church to understand. So, So there's this great supper being given. And I love, you know, there's a lot of things I love about Jesus and I identify with about the Lord. One of my favorite things I identify with about Jesus is this Theological revelation. Jesus loved to eat. Straight off the bat, he's like, the son of man comes eating and drinking. So y'all know what's up. Get it right. Keep it tight. I love this about Jesus. Jesus loved to eat. Very first thing God did for Adam and Eve, gave them a menu of fruit. Hey, you can eat anything you want except that one. I love it. Jesus is so many... Times in the Bible, he invited himself to Zacchaeus' house for dinner. Hey, Zacchaeus, come on, we're going to dinner. You're, you're, you're hosting, by the way. We want your house. So as he rose from the dead, what's the first thing he, he does? He walks with these men to Emmaus and they break bread. Then he goes and has a big old fish fry with the disciples. Jesus left to eat. There's a reason he's the bread of life. He doesn't, he's not the kale of life. We don't need your kale. We, we, don't, we're not, we don't want some quinoa. That is not what time it is. One of my favorite instances of the Bible is when um, uh, uh, Elijah was depressed, suicidal, under this broom tree. He's running from Jezebel. He's exhausted. He's over it. He's having a full-blown, as they say in the South, a full-blown come apart. He's under this broom tree. The angel comes and touches him. This angel is in an Old Testament appearance of Christ, a Christophany. The very first thing the angel says is, oh my gosh, don't you have faith? I can't believe you're out here. You just called down fire from heaven. Get it together. No. The angel gives him a cake. Listen, I don't know if you've had a Texas Roadhouse roll when it's warm with that apple cinnamon butter. Yes, Lord, you are the bread of life. In the name of Jesus. Fat back, stand up. Yep, that's what time it is. I love that Jesus loved to eat. There's something about the fellowship of breaking of bread that speaks to to this unity and this beauty of life. And I, I love that. And it's really appropriate that Jesus is using this parable because even in the Bible, even in our redemptive history and salvation, there's so much imagery about this banquet, right? Isaiah promises this messianic banquet. Think about communion. We come to the table to break bread and drink from the cup, to remember the sacrifice that Christ gave for us. Even in Revelation, when all is said and done, when the, when the clouds roll back like a scroll, what, this epic that started in Eden ends with this great wedding supper of the Lamb. Jesus loved to eat, and I'm here for it. I love it. So he's at the table with these Pharisees, and he's using this situation and says, there's a man who gave a great banquet, not a good supper. This is not a buffet at Golden Corral. No offense if you worked at Golden Corral. 
This is not a Chuck E. Cheese, all you can eat pizza situation. It's a great supper. You want to be invited here. And when these people that were invited get the invitation, my Bible tells me they all, in verse 18, with one accord, started to make some excuses. First one said, I just bought a piece of ground. I must go and see it. Who buys property without ever checking it out first? That's wild. It's like you had Google Earth, check it out online. Why now are you choosing this time to go check out your property that you already bought? Make it make sense. Then the second one, oh, I just got five yoke of oxen. I'm gonna test them. Has anyone ever bought a car without kicking the tires first? Before Carvana and all that stuff. You would never buy oxen and not check their teeth, right? Before you bought them. Plus, this is supper time. It's presumably dark in the evening. Is this the time you wanna now go check out your ground and your oxen? Interesting. My favorite one, <laughs> the last man. He's like, um, so what it is is, about that, um, so I just married a wife, so I can't come. So dumb, just bring her. What are we even talking about right now? This is wild to me. Also, may I just mention, sir, if you just married a wife, you need every bit of God. You better be up at supper. Because marriage will kill you before it blesses you. Y'all don't leave me up here by myself. Listen. I love my husband with every fiber of my being. We married for almost tw two decades. There are moments in my marriage I have contemplated murder. How would I look in orange? Got the skin tone for it. It's hard. Every ounce of flesh in you rises up in marriage. You need, you need to be at the supper with God if you just got married. Why then are you making this excuse? It's interesting to me that the Bible makes us understand that they were all in one accord. This word accord speaks to oneness of mind, resoluteness. It's almost as if they decided beforehand that they didn't want to go and then they made excuses when the invitation came. How do you get to that point of rejecting an invitation from not just a good supper, an okay supper, a great supper? How do you get to the point where you get in one accord, oneness of heart and mind. These excuses that these men gave did not start with the words they spoke. It started with the thoughts they thought. Somewhere in their mind, they'd gone down a path with thoughts that led them to a place of rejecting a good, great supper invitation. Some of us have been believing for revival, for refreshing, for breakthrough. We're doing all the right things. We're singing all the right songs. We're doing the things we're supposed to do. Reading our Bible, praying every day. We're doing all those things. We're not seeing what we want in our life. It's not because of your actions. It's because of your thoughts. There's something that the enemy is after today, and I want to reject in Jesus' name, which is this idea of negative thoughts. Thoughts of complacency, thoughts that get us to a place of apathy, of spiritual indifference, where we come to church and we just think it's church as usual. This is not church as usual. This is the same presence that hit men and they fell dead in the Old Testament. Only one man, one day a year, could enter into the presence of God, and if he was unclean, he would fall dead on the spot. That is the same presence that's here today, and yet we come in and think it's just church as usual. We've made the magnificent mundane. We've made God pedestrian. That's what these people did. It didn't start with their actions or their words. It started with a thought. So then what does the man say? Well, they're not going to come. Go out and get the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind. This is very interesting to me. If there was anyone I would think that had a valid excuse, it would be the poor. I don't have money to go to the banquet. I don't have clothes to go to the banquet. It would be the blind. I can't see. 
where I'm going to get to the banquet. It would have been the lame, I have no legs, I have no arms, I can't get to the banquet physically. I have a handicap, I can't get there. That is not who I see making these excuses. I don't see the poor and the maimed and the lame or the blind, I see the ones who have affluence. One yoke of oxen is extremely expensive. Five yokes, that's a rich guy. I see the people whose lives are full of possessions, making excuses for the invitation in front of them. You see, you can be rich in vocation and poor in your mind. Be careful, church. Be careful. We can be rich in possessions, but lame in our thinking. You can be rich in relationships, but handicapped in your thoughts because in one accord, these men had a mindset that led them down a path to make poor decisions when it came to the invitation in front of them. Think about this. When we get in agreement, in accord with the enemy, that's when things start to go downhill. Genesis 3.15, we see the first instance of somebody coming in agreement with the enemy, not in her actions, in her thought. Genesis 3, the enemy came to her and said, did God really say? Planted a thought, like a seed in her mind. That thought went down into the root system of her thinking, informed her decision-making, led to an action of behavior, and we see what is the result of that, depravity of humanity. That's how it starts. Our thoughts are like a seed. A thought is not an invisible idea in your mind or brain. Neurons, the nerve cells in your brain, they send messages to one another. That's what informs our decision-making. But these signals, these electromagnetic waves, they are physical. There's a physical representation of a thought Collection of memories in your mind. It's not just invisible. It has a physical protein structure in your mind. So literally, our thoughts, the seed thoughts that we have in our mind can produce fruit that looks like this. Or we can have thoughts that are seeds that look like this. The choice is actually ours. How do I know this? Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, therefore, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is your reasonable, it's reasonable, your act of worship. And then it says, don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your? Why not your body? Why not your actions? Why not even your spirit? Because it's in your mind. I like how the CE version, CEV version says it. It says it this way. It says, dear friends, God is good. We could stop right there and have church, can we? Just have a good old praise break. God is so good. He sees our current state, but does not leave us the way we are. He sees our depravity. I don't know if you've ever been in a hole, a dark place in life, uh, a place where you thought there was no hope. You couldn't see forward. You needed breakthrough. God does not leave us there. It is okay to not be okay. It's not okay to stay there. God is good. And so I beg you to offer your bodies to him as a living sacrifice, pure and pleasing. That's the most sensible way to serve God. It says this. Don't be like the people of this world, but let God change the way you not act, not behave, think. This is a huge turning point for us in the church today. The enemy is after us and he's sneaky. He knows he can't get us to outright sin all the time, but he knows if I can get them to think wrongly, they're gonna act wrongly eventually. 
So he's attacking us. And so these men, and, so, and sometimes this distortion of truth is very subtle. He didn't go to Eve and say, God is so awful. He said, did he really say this? Could he maybe be holding something back from you? Maybe he's not as good as he says. He didn't have to say all that. Eve took it on her own and ended up making a decision. We do the same thing in our world. Oh, you control your own destiny, do you? Did you put your own breath in your lungs too? Did you wake yourself up this morning? Those neurons in your brain, did you put them there? We can't, we don't control our own destiny. There is no relative truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, it's what the word says. And so through the power of the word, the Bible tells us we can transform the way our brain thinks. You literally have the the ability to either have this type of thought seed or this type of thought seed. In clinical terms, in my world, we call this neuroplasticity. It's a fancy term. God thought about it first. (laughs) It was his idea. I was sitting in my anatomy and physiology class thinking, oh no, this was God's idea. The word of God can transform the way my neurons talk to each other. I have the power through the word of God to change the way those chemicals speak to each other. And if I believe that, I'm gonna stand up a little straighter. When the enemy comes in like a flood, I will speak to him and say, no, I take that thought captive. I put it under obedience to Jesus Christ. I break every stronghold. I cut down every pretension. I'm not getting in an argument with you, devil. We're not peers. I'm a child of the living God. We are not peers, honey. Try somebody else, don't try me. That's the kind of confidence we have because of what Jesus did on the cross. So we don't have to make excuses. Some of us are planting seeds that look like this in our mind and we expect this. Never gonna happen. It's never gonna happen. You know, my son and I had an experiment once because Pinterest and the internet gives you a lot of faith in yourself. You see things like, I can do that. I'm a woman, hear me roar. I have birthed humans into this world, I can do that. And I was like, I can, I can have an herb garden in the backyard because groceries are $5 million. Every time I go to Costco, something inside of me dies. And she keeps ringing up, I'm like, are you sure? Oh my gosh. And so I said, I'm gonna have an herb garden. And so Isaiah and I were gonna do this project together. And we're gonna plant these seeds. I was gonna get some, some mint and parsley. I had all these great ideas. I was baking bread and focaccia and all these things. I had grand ideas. So we, did, we had our pots lined up. We got the seeds, we did our thing. I was watering it. Two weeks later, there was absolutely nothing, no seedlings. I was so puzzled. About, about three or four weeks and I was like, okay, this ain't right. We have zero things here. So I go to Isaiah and I'm like, son, so let's walk through the steps of what we did. So we had the seeds, put them in, I watered them. We put some fertilizer down, what could be wrong? And Isaiah goes, oh mom, I forgot to put the seed in the pot. You know what? (laughs) You know what, just call CPS right now because I have that Peter anointing. Listen, I fight first, ask questions later. Some of us are just gifted that way. I was like, sir, that is an important step in the process. Yeah, we're gonna put the seed down to get the fruit. And we laugh about this, but some of us are doing that same thing in our thought life. We're giving God excuses. We were looking for fruit where we're not planted good seed. We're wondering what's going on, what's wrong? How come God, God's not, he, the standing invitation is there. It's what's happening in your mind that's the issue. Some of us don't trust God. We don't trust that he's good. We want to do it our way. 
We're so wise in our own eyes. We can Google all the things. We, can, we have no more mystique, no more mystery. We can look it up and figure it out. Well, there's some things beyond us figuring out because there's some infinite things in our body, DNA, the way God created us. He is the creator, so we should go to him as the source. And so these men have an opportunity and they give excuses, not because of the actions, it's because of their thoughts. Hear me. Futile thoughts, toxic thoughts, negative thought patterns, pretensions, distortions, arguments. It takes two people to argue. When the enemy comes to you and you start talking to him, you're arguing. So that's what Eve did. Don't do it. He's not your peer. You're a child of the living God. And he's given you the power to change the way your thoughts go. The, the, the network of neurons in your brain. He's literally created us to do that. That just blows my mind. It blows my mind. Listen to me, I'm not saying the trauma did not happen. I'm not saying some of us don't struggle with neurochemical imbalances. Of course we do. I just choose to believe what the word says, that he is not a man that he should lie. He's gonna stand upon this word and he healed then and he can heal now. It can be both faith and prayer, why not both? Faith and therapy, why not both? Faith and pharmaceuticals, what, why not? We need both, one is a strategy, the other is a weapon. If you're struggling with anxious thoughts, depression, panic attacks, not trusting God, feeling stuck in where you are, maybe your next step is not to do differently, it's to think differently. Maybe you've been making excuses of why you can't do this next step that God is asking you to do. Man, this cut me to the heart. It wasn't the poor making excuses, it was the ones who were well off. Oh, the American church, the enemy is after us. It's not the pain principle at play now. It's the pleasure principle. We're so full of things, there's no room for God. I just got five oxen, I can't come. Just married a wife, I can't come. Just got some ground, I can't come. My kids are in volleyball, can't come. I got this thing going on, I can't come. God, you know about my health issues, I can't come. God, I can't serve. I'm too this, I'm too old, I'm too young. I have life still out. I got us scrolling our lives away all the while. He's got a standing invitation. We cannot make excuses. Romans 1, 20 to 21 says it this way. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen. It's not dubious. It's clear. Both nature without and our spirits within tell us about who God is. Being understood from what has been made so that people are without Let's say it louder. People are without There are no more excuses. For although they knew God, familiar with the things of God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their, why not their actions? Why not their behavior? Because it starts in your mind. Your thoughts are like a seed. Their thinking became futile and then their hearts were darkened. May this not be us in the name of Jesus Christ. May the church of the living God look different than the world. That when the world is out there dying, struggling with their mental health, trying to figure out their lives, that we can offer hope, not because of who we are, because of who he is. Not because of what we've done, because of what he did. He didn't say to be continued, he said it is finished. It's finished. So there are no more excuses, we are without excuse. That's why Philippians 2.5 says it this way, let this, why not spirit? Why not let the spirit be in you that was in Christ Jesus? Let this mind be in you 
that was in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, made himself of no reputation. That, that word is kenosis. He emptied himself. Was obedient to his father, even to the point of death. Some of us are struggling in our walk with the Lord, not because of any action that we've done, it's because we're not dead yet. We haven't died. We're still living for ourselves, living for our flesh, filling our lives with things that God has not called us to. Then wondering why we're burnt out and exhausted and stressed out. Don't conform to the pattern of this world. There's a way that this world thinks, there's a way that this world behaves, there's a way that this world prioritizes. That is not the way of the kingdom. It's upside down. If you wanna be the greatest, you be the least, but no. We want to be the best followers, platform, trending, viral. That is not the way of the kingdom. That is antichrist. So he says, don't conform. Be transformed by renewing your mind. Help us, God. Some of us are making excuses to God. He's saying, come to this great supper. And we're saying, no, I got to do this. I got to do this first. I got to figure this out first. I got to fix myself before I come. You don't have to fix yourself before you come. He will help us in our dysfunction. He helps us in our frailties. And one thing I love about this great supper parable is that even after these men made their excuses and and the master had the poor and the lame and everyone come in, in verse 22, the the servant said, Master, it is done as you commanded, and still there is room. Somebody ought to give God a praise for that. No matter how far gone you think you are, no matter how much your thought life looks like this, your father is saying to you today, it's in your hands to choose what you want. And if you choose me, there's still room. God is so good. He's so faithful. He's so wonderful. There is still room. Second Peter 3, 9 says it this way, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some count slackness, he's long-suffering, extraordinarily patient. He doesn't want anyone to perish, but that all shall come to repentance. But can I tell you something? There's gonna come a day when it's gonna be too late, when we no longer have any excuses as we stand before him, the great throne. That marriage supper of the Lamb in Revelation 19, there will be no more time. There's an urgency about this. Let's make the decision to take the invitation. A standing invitation is an open invitation. It's always there. No matter what you've been through, I don't know what you're thinking. Oh, well, I've done this, I've done that. God would never. He is saying there is still room. Let's think, you can't can't say too much trauma, too much sin. I don't care what's happened to you. You are not your trauma. You're not your past. You're not what was done to you. You're still on the potter's wheel. God is still your creator. He gets to decide your identity, not the things that were done to you. There's hope. There's still room. Some of the people that we call our, our giants of faith, think about them. They were not too far gone. There was still room for them. Noah got drunk. Isaac was a daydreamer. Jacob lied. Jacob was a deceiver. Just lie, even for no reason. Jacob would just tell lies. Leah was not in her glow-up era, y'all. You know what's bad when the Bible's like, yeah, she wasn't pretty. <laughs> Leah, honey, I'm so sorry. Just bring it in, come into my bosom, let's just hug it out. It's a tough day. David was a murdering adulterer. Elijah was suicidal. 
Gideon was afraid. Abraham was too old. Timothy was too young. Naomi was a widow. Job was bankrupt. John the Baptist was a certified weirdo. If he were to come up to me, I'd be like, sir, you need to put some clothes on before you touch me, first of all. He, he would not have fit in in our day, eating locusts, wearing a loincloth. And he was the one who heralded the coming of our Lord. There's always room. Our God is exceedingly, extraordinarily patient. Peter denied God, cussed a girl out. Listen, I understand, Peter. There are times if something comes and I'm like, oh, okay, I'm not going to say this next thing. If I say this next thing, I'm going to shut this party down. Peter would cut off ears first, ask questions later, period. Do not come for him. Peter loves Jesus, but he got hands all day. Everybody can get it. I love Peter, though. Anybody got a little Peter in them? Listen, we write at dawn. We'll ask questions later. I will roll up, honey. I'm Nigerian. We don't play. I will roll up. What do we need? And Peter, Jesus called him a rock. On this rock, I'll build my church. Martha had OCD. Martha, oh my goodness. Love me some Martha. Jesus is about to call her her brother back from the dead. She's like, hey, Jesus, right before you do that, can I just mention one small thing, if you will, respectfully? Um, You're late. Yeah, yeah, for three days, the, 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 the spirit hovers around the body, but now it's the fourth day. So you're like a day late. And then because of that, when you do try to call him out, he's dead. He's been dead, so it's going to be a smell. So I think we need some potpourri or some Yankee candles, Bath and Body Works, so we can just get this sorted, if, respectfully. I'll try and tell you how to do your job, but you're late. Martha, just was so exceedingly patient with her. The disciples fell asleep in church. People fell out of windows falling asleep in church. These were the people who established the church as we know it today. Philip doubted Jesus, yet there was room for all of them. What is it that we have done that we think is too far gone for God's grace? Oh, come on, that, you ought to praise him for that. We ought to praise him. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, he who knew no sin became sin. He died for our sins, past, present, future. The sins you've already, you haven't even committed. He said, I've already done it. It is finished. Oh my goodness. This blows my mind. He's so good. He is so patient. There is still room at the banquet table. You have a standing invitation. You can choose you today what kind of thought trees you have in your life. These ones are these ones. Because whether you know it or not, these are informing your decision. These are informing your behavior, your patterns, your leanings, your proclivities. These are the things informing that. So let's not worry about fruit. Let's worry about the seed. The servant says, come. All things are ready. If you'll stand to your feet, let's just lean into what the Holy Spirit is saying to you and doing right now. I know that when I was studying for this and just reading the word, I was cut to the heart. God, I never want to let the things you've blessed me with become excuses from accepting your invitation. It happens so subtly. Before we know it, we're giving God excuses 
We're giving him reasons why we can't do what he's called us to do. A lot of times because of the very things he's blessed us with. If you would just close your eyes, let's just lean into the Holy Spirit. God, you're here. You're here to revive us. You're here to speak to us, to give us insight into your word. And if you're here today and you say, you know what, Mercy, I do need to make that next step in accepting the invitation. I don't know what that invitation is for you. I know what it is for me. And all of us in this room have an invitation to say yes to. We all have a next step with the Lord. Maybe yours is to surrender your life to God for the first time. Maybe you need to rededicate yourself to the Lord because you've not been walking in line with that decision you made years ago. For some of us, our next step is to let go of negative thoughts. For a lot of us, the enemy's been attacking you in this area. Depression, anxiety, panic attacks, suicidal ideation, insomnia. You can't even sleep at night because the thoughts are racing. For some of you, it's that, it's that invitation to accept that freedom and peace that he offers. All of us have a response today. So right where you are, just listen to the Holy Spirit. I'm just gonna give us a few minutes to just listen so that we can respond. Guthrie, Oklahoma City, tune into the Holy Spirit in this moment. If you know that is you, you need to make a step in response to an invitation that the Lord is offering for you today. Just raise your hand right where you are. If your hand is up, just come up to this altar. We're not ashamed of the gospel. We're not ashamed of needing God. If you know that you struggle with depression, anxiety, toxic thinking, panic attacks, I want you up here at this altar right now. I believe there's a healing power, a healing grace that the Lord has given some of us as artisans, both anointing and instruction to set captives free. I believe it. And I believe it. If you struggle with self-harm, I want you up here at this altar. He died to set you free. He doesn't just want you to be healed. He wants you to be whole. Nothing missing, nothing broken. If your next step is to Stop making excuses. Come up to this altar. Let's pray with you. You need to take that next step. Maybe your next step is baptism today. When you have an opportunity, don't delay. Don't give him any more excuses. Just say yes to him. All of us in here will have to pay a price, either the price of obedience now or the price of regret later. Let's pay the price of obedience. As we go into this next worship song, I encourage you, take that next step of accepting the standing invitation that God has for you. Don't let revival come and go and just be church as usual. It is not. The presence of God is here. He wants to do something new in your life. Father, right now you see us. Let no flesh glory in your presence, God. Father, for those in here who want a desire for you, God, would you fulfill that? There's some of you in here who need to say no to some things so you can say yes to God. You need to let go of some things so you can get a hold of Him. God, I pray that you give us the grace and the courage right now to do the things that you've called us to do. Fill every gap. All the empty spaces, God, would you come and fulfill them? We pray that you would be enough for us because you are our prize and you are a very great reward. 
And so God, as we go into this worship song, I just believe God that our worship is a weapon. That we would fix our eyes on you. That we would not put you in a box and make you too small in our eyes. That we would elevate you. Make you king, not just Lord and Savior, but king. If you're up here and you're praying for healing or, self, or, or um, anxiety, depression, just try and get to your knees if you don't mind. Just an attitude of submission and surrender. Let's go into this next song. Let's worship with everything we've got.